We are glad you're here, and this year as we've been meeting together for worship, we've been going through what is called our core values, things that as we began praying about what Manhattan Pres would look like, a church that was Presbyterian Reformed Church that would be establishing in, in Manhattan, Kansas would look like, we began to lay down these important things and what was going to be central to the vision of Manhattan Pres. And so these things, of course, have included the means of grace, which we've looked at, that is prayer, the word of God, and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, we've also looked at corporate worship. That One of the things important to us is we come together to worship God. That's what this gathering is for. We believe in outreach. We believe in so many other aspects in the community you're going to see. But when we gather together on a Sunday like this, it is for the worship of a mighty God. It includes making disciples, which we looked at last time. And, you know, that is something that's important to us, to see the lost come to faith and to see those who are already in faith grow in the maturity and their walk with the Lord. And so we're down to our last two core values. Next time we meet in two weeks, we're going to be looking at church planting and missions. That'll be all one kind of squished together aspect. And this week, we're looking at serving others, what it means to serve others. And we'll get into a little more detail here in a minute. And there are so many great texts that we could have used for this. This is Honestly, one of the more difficult ones to really settle down and think, what, what text do you preach about serving others? It's all over Scripture. We're going to be looking at Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. And the reason for that is that I believe it shows, one, a, a collective result of what it happens when a church is serving others through love together. It answers the why question. Why do good works? Why serve others? Why shine in a dark world? And so again, our text is Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. If you have your Bible, get it out and follow along with me. If you don't, we printed it in the bulletin, and you can follow along there. Beginning in verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I want you to find the back of your bulletin. I want to show you something. Right at the very top, I want you to notice those words there. I hope you've noticed them. The, the reason we put them there is that you're going to see it over and over and over again. It says, love God and love people. Love God and love people. That's what we want to be true of Manhattan Press as a local church. Uh, both of those things, love for God and love for people that is fueled by the love of God for us, that he has shown to us. Because God has first loved us, we now can love him and we now can love others. And so when these two things are true about us, that we love God and we love people, then a community that is often skeptical about God will see the impact that God has on a group of sinners. What does that impact look like? In the past already, we've talked about how we love God through worship, the way that we seek Him through the means of grace, and the way that we are encouraged and growing up through the means of grace. And we've also talked about our love for each other. We call this a covenant community. As we are in the covenant of God, that as we are a community under that covenant, that we care for each other and we love each other. Today is about love outside of the church family. Uh, love to those that are not necessarily a part of the covenant community. Neighbors, maybe friends or family members, people at school or work or on teams or who you share hobbies with and interact with places. 
strangers in need. It's, it's that all-encompassing everyone else. Even the person who hates you simply because you're a Christian. And so now I want us to look back at our text, and we're going to look at this verse, verse by verse in Matthew 5.14, and then I want to show you a few texts of Scripture at the end that are closely related and I think helpful to our understanding of God's call on us as a people to love others. And so verse 14, look at it with me. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And this is the place where I know I point this out so often, you must get sick of it. But it's, it's important. It's important to our understanding because I want you to understand that this is corporate. It's not just you, but it's a corporate statement being made. We are collectively being called the light of the world. The word you at the beginning of 14, that's plural. Now, being from the South, I prefer y'all, as in all y'all are the light of the world. That sounds right, but for the sake of being more inclusive to you that were born in the north half of this country or wherever people speak different, I'll admit that this could also be used guys are the light of the world. I think that's right. I, I have no idea. But you get the point. The point is that we are collectively, as the church, being informed by our Savior that we, we are the light of the world. Now I admit, I, I absolutely admit, being called the light of the world seems odd to me. I don't know if you hear that and you feel the same thing, but, but I almost want to argue with Jesus here. I know better than that. But I, I want to have this argument almost of, of, no, we're not. Check your theology, Jesus. We're not the light of the world. You are the light of the world. We're, we're just not. See, when we interpret Scripture, when we want to understand it, there are some basic ideas that can help us to do so faithfully. And so here we need to be sure that we let Scripture interpret Scripture. And that means we're going to look at other texts of Scripture which are more easily understand to help us understand an area that could be confusing if we took it out of context. Areas like this where the actual light of the world is telling us you are the light of the world, we are the light of the world. And so we'll look at the, the Gospel of John. In chapter 8, verse 12, we... We see this. This is where Jesus uh, is speaking, and he says this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you follow Jesus Christ? Do you confess him with your heart and with your mouth to be your Savior? Then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. In the text we just read here in John, from that we learn that we have the light of life. I get it, though. We're not a light source. We are always dependent on Christ, who is the true light of the world for our light. We're more like those glow-in-the-dark stars that used to be real popular. People would stick them up on the ceiling. Some of you might still do that. I don't know if they're popular now. But you remember those things. I remember sticking them everywhere in the hopes that when I turned it off at night, it's going to look like the sky. It never quite looked like that. But, but I do remember turning off the lights at night, and in the room, you'd begin to see them glow. You'd have these glowing dots on the ceiling of your room and and they were lights and they did shine in the darkness and they did provide light when you were sleeping but they were not self-fueled they were not sources of lights themselves they were lights because of their exposure to an actual source of light right somewhere around 2 a.m you'd look up and suddenly you know your stars were no longer glowing and that's when you turn on the lights so that they could charge up 
So for a time you'd get it, but, but it would go away. Uh, eventually it went dark again, and they were no longer shining in the darkness. And so thinking back to our text here, when Jesus says that we are the light of the world, he's saying this because we have union with Christ, union with him through faith. And so our verse here doesn't just say that we are the light of the world, though. No, it also makes one of the more obvious statements in all of Scripture. It says that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. That almost doesn't need to be said, right? It's not saying a, a city on a hill shouldn't be hidden. It says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's because cities are big things. You've got buildings and people and animals and lights and giant football stadiums and all these big things that simply can't be hidden. And then it goes further and says, you put that up on a hill and anyone in the surrounding area will certainly see it. There's no way around it. A a city built on a hill simply cannot be hidden. Verse 15 then builds on this point, pointing out another reality. Look at it with me. Verse 15, it says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light and all, to all the house. Again, this is a simple analogy. If, if anyone goes to the trouble to light a lamp, they will not hide it under something. If they did, what was the point in lighting the lamp to begin with? We also need to see from this verse that we live in a world that's very dark. Christian, are you aware of that? I mean, the world we live in is very dark. It's very important that we as believers understand just how dark the world is, not so we can hide in fear, but so that we can understand the role that God has for us, so that we can understand why after we believe in Christ, after we believe the gospel, he doesn't just remove us from the darkness, but leaves us and makes us lights. And so we live in a dark world. And the problem with living in a dark world is that it affects our ability to see. Again, obvious, right? A dim room makes it very difficult to see objects, to know where you are, to know what's around you, to be certain that we can trust. You know in the dark when you you see something, you think you know what it is, and it turns out to be something completely different. See, the darker the room, the more difficult it is to see properly. What I mean is this. Morals are hard to distinguish. It's hard to know what is truth. We hear people use this phrase, don't lose your moral bearings. And admittedly, in in darkness, that's very hard to do. We, We need the light of Christ to show us what is true, what is right. So the the point in this text is that the light of a Christian cannot and should not be hidden. When we read here in verse 15, then, that the lamp gives light to all the house, We are learning that a virtuous life will give light to all who are around it. Our lives under the Lordship of Christ is that light to the world. When we give of ourselves to serve others, they see Christ. I know that can be a scary sounding statement. It's almost cliche, but it's it's not. Consider it this way. It is difficult to look directly at the sun. People do it hurts their eyes. But it is difficult for you to go outside and stare directly at the sun. It will hurt your eyes. However, you can stare at the moon all night. You can see its beauty. It won't blind you if you stare at it. And I I think sometimes we forget that the moon is actually reflecting 
the light of the sun. The moon is, is sort of like those plastic stars that we stuck to our ceiling in that it's not in and of itself a source of light. You know, you, you take away the sun and, and the moon goes black. It disappears, or at least we can't see it anymore. That's exactly what happens during an eclipse. The moon no longer reflects the sun and it goes black for a period of time. Often non-Christians find it difficult to, to look at God in more direct ways. They don't want to be involved in, in your prayer group. They don't want to come to Bible studies. They don't want to listen to you talk about scripture. It's just too Christian-y for them. It, it's like staring into the sun. They'll, they'll have nothing to do with that. However, when they look and they, they see Christians being a light in a dark place, they see us reflecting the light of our Savior. Now, Stay with this idea of the moon for just a moment. Uh, have you ever been camping on a, on a night when there was no moon? Or I guess there's always a moon. When, you, when there was no moon reflecting the light. I think once or twice in my life I've done this. And, and I noticed it. That was the thing that was so surprising. Is, as you begin to, to not be able to see past and you can't see anything, it's hard to figure things out. It becomes dark, like really, really dark. And it's, it's downright creepy. The night is so much scarier in the dark, and, and you can't walk on the paths, and, and it's just a difficult time. And, and, and this is it. We just don't realize it. I think most of us think the moon is, is beautiful, but we forget that it's actually providing light, that it actually makes an impact on the world when we're out in it. It illuminates the world so that even in darkness, truth is seen. Even in darkness, bearings can be found. And so Jesus, in these first two verses, is, is giving this illustration. And now in verse 16, this is where we see what the point of the illustration is. Look at verse 16 with me. I like it when you read along, follow along with the word. I want you to see this. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so let me be very clear on this. We cannot cause regeneration. We don't make people believe the gospel. We can't. Because that is exclusively a sovereign work of God. It is he alone who can forgive sin. It is God alone who softens hearts and opens blind eyes. However, what Jesus is teaching us is, is this. It's the responsibility of the church, the we, to live our lives in the grace of God so that others are challenged with the truth of the gospel. The Scottish pastor, Sinclair Ferguson, said it like this. He said, It is our responsibility to shine for Jesus Christ so that others will see his salvation expressed in the flesh and blood reality of our daily lives. When we gaze at the moon, I don't know if you've done this, you go out and you just gaze at the moon. There, there comes at some point when we realize there must be a source for that light. It's coming from somewhere. And you know, in the same way, when, when an unbelieving world sees the light of Christ in our lives, they will realize there must be a source for their goodness, for their love, for their kindness. That's how 1 Peter 3.15 comes into play. There, there we are told that we are to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. This might be a crude example. I hope not. You know, I had a, a friend in Kansas City who lost a bunch of weight over the course of about a year, and I remember watching it happen, and you wouldn't notice looking at me today, but the day came when I thought, I, I want to lose weight. And having watched this guy lose weight, what do you think I did? Well, 
I went to him and I asked, you know, what did you do? How did you lose that weight? I, I saw something that was true in his life that I desired, and so I wanted to know what was the source of it. You see, we individually, but particularly as a group, as a body, represent Christ. And, and so let us take responsibility to be the light of the world that God has called us to be. And we can't simply deny that we represent Christ in that way. I remember 20 years ago, NBA player Charles Barkley made a famous, or maybe it's infamous at this point, statement. He said, I am not a role model. And people were upset about that. Uh, they were upset at him because that wasn't his to say. He, he couldn't just claim that. The very fact that he was an NBA player who children watched and look up to meant that he was a role model, whether he wanted to be or, or not. You see, that's the reality for us. We represent our Savior in all that we do. Whether we want to or not, that's the reality. And our text says that they will see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. See, good works is a broad statement. Uh, it's our being honest in all things. It's our seeking purity in our life. It's our using loving words when we're interacting with people. It's giving of our time to serve people freely. It's asking someone, how is your day going? It's, it's helping Habitat for Humanity build a, a home for a family. It's collecting food for the local food pantry. It's helping schools and co-ops and uh, all, all sorts of opportunities where we can volunteer. It's, it's seeing our neighbors carry a couch and going to help them before they ever ask for it. It's as simple as a smile or as difficult as giving of our hard-earned money to someone in need. And I know good works can be a, a scary word for us as evangelicals. You know, we fought that battle back at the Reformation, right? Uh, we can hear this, and, and we hear it as this heavy burden to be carried, as a, a means to gaining God's love. You know, that's, that's the wrong way we can understand it. Because that's not the way we see it in Scripture, not here, not anywhere. What we see is good works are a way of showing the goodness of our Savior. The responsibility that, that God gives us here is not to pretend. It's a responsibility to remain in close fellowship with our gracious and our loving Lord. This isn't about being perfect. We mess up. You will mess up. We will all mess up in major ways. Uh, until you dwell with Christ eternally, you will continue to sin. And so don't hear this as a call to good works wrongly. I'm not asking you to cover your sins so that we look good to the world or to pretend to be more holy than you really are. See, when we see someone in pain and, and we reach out to them and we care for them, God is glorified in that good work. But that's not the only way that God's glorified in our lives. Uh, when you in anger hurt someone's feeling, or, or when you sin in, in some way that is seen or, or felt by the world or, or someone in the world, confess, repent. Ask forgiveness from them, you know, from God and from them. I, I don't know why, but we forget sometimes that repentance is a God-enabled good work that glorifies our Savior. It shows His grace. You know, people who repent and, and seek forgiveness are not normal. You don't have to interact in the world very long to realize that. People who repent and seek forgiveness, they, they stand out in a dark world because in the world, we see people who are stubborn and self-justifying. And so, Christian, 
repentance to God, seeking forgiveness from others, is light. Let it shine. Now, like we said from the start, the overarching theme or purpose in this text is to encourage us collectively, as a church, to live lives that do have good works for the glory of God. For is a purpose word, for the glory of God. And so, yes, that means living morally. Yes, that means speaking truth and scripture. Yes, that means holding biblical values. Yes, that means opposing evil wherever we find it. And I hope you see that this also means that we joyfully serve the community together. When we sat down some time ago and we began to think through core values for Manhattan Press, it, it didn't take long for us to realize that it was important that we didn't become self-centered as a, as a church community. We want to be a covenant community that to serve and, and love each other well, very well. We want to do that very well, but not only each other. And so one way that we could do this would be to start a ministry that's a ministry of the church and that serves the community in a specific way, and we all kind of pour into that. But we also realized real early that that could easily still just be about ourselves. We could still create a little bubble that we're inviting people into. And so we decided that we wanted to be a congregation that joins with the wider community to serve the needs of the community. This means we find existing ministries and organizations, and we learn how we can serve them and work together to meet those needs. This does two things. This is kind of an explanation point. We get to meet the clearly identified needs in the community, in the city. And the second thing is this. We get to be a gospel light, uh, a gospel light to the people that we serve. And I, I just I love this part, to be a gospel light to the people we serve alongside. Here's what that might look like. We get a group of us. And we go and we, we work with the food pantry in town and, and we go there and we serve with Flint Hills Bread Basket and we talk to the people that are coming to assistance. And, and while the time passes, we get to know the people that are to our left and our right and we're talking to them and we get to know them on a real level and we find out they may be serving for completely different reasons. But as we talk, they learn that what motivates us is, is the grace that God has shown us. You get to talk about how God's love for you and his forgiveness of you and the way that he has provided for you fuels your love to serve others, your desire to serve others. And so a light shines in that way. They see your good deeds. That's light. They learn of the source of your light, and God is glorified. And so like I, I said before at the start, this was one of the more difficult texts to, pick, to, to preach on here. Uh, as we went through our core values and the reason is that the, the Word of God is full of Scripture that speaks uh, about the way we serve others. 1 John 3.18, which encourages our love to others to go beyond just words, it, it reads like this. It says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Uh, we can talk all we want, but uh, the community we will only see our actions. They're only going to see what love actually looks like from us. That's what's going to back up the words that we speak. They, they need to see that our actions match our words. Acts 20.35 says this, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's seek the blessing of, of giving to those in need. Mark 10.45, it shows us that Serving is what our Lord has modeled for his church. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. Uh, we learn in Ephesians 2 that, well, the first thing we learn in Ephesians 2 is that salvation is a gift of faith from God, not a result of works. Uh, what's beautiful is that Ephesians 2.10, we begin to see also that God has prepared good works for his church to do. The whole section of uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let us walk in them. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 tells about the purpose of our freedom found in Christ. And we already, we looked at this during the affirmation of our faith. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Corinthians 9.19, we see that Paul has used his freedom to serve others in the hope that they might come to believe the gospel. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And Jesus, speaking in Matthew 25, 35 through 40, here he's equating our act of love towards those in need as love towards him, our very Savior. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in, in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and, and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This list could go on and on. I'll give you just one more today. Hebrews 13, 16. And here we are encouraged to share what God has given us. It says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So the question is, what has God given us that we can use in service to others for his glory? Is it time? Is it money? Is it skills? Is it, is it prayer? Uh, can you talk and listen? I know visiting a new church can be a scary, scary thing. I expect most of you have done that, but it's less so when someone actually talks to you and takes the time to get to know you. I think we as a church do a fantastic job of that. I encourage you to keep doing that. Not just visitors, though. Do you, I mean, do you even realize what a blessing it is to someone when you see each other and you just ask, how is your week going? What's going on? When you care enough to actively care. We are looking for ways that we can serve together in the community. We want this to be uh, an active and real thing that we do. So I want you to know that when you hear these ideas, when, you, when we send out about them, when we speak about them, I don't want you to feel guilty if you can't make it. I, I think that's always the fear when you begin to organize things like this, is that now this is an obligation on you. Do not feel guilty. If you need to serve your family, or if your schedule doesn't allow for it at this time, that's okay. But if you can come, and you can serve with joy, please do. Uh, let me close with a, a question and answer. And the question is this, what happens when we make it our life's goal, our life's goal, to know Jesus and to serve in his name? I think the answer is this, we refuse to sell out. We refuse to live for self only. We refuse to waste our lives, and people see a reflection of our Jesus. 
a beautiful light in the darkness. And that's what we want for you, for us, for Manhattan Press, that's, that we be a church. I guess the, the truth is this, that we as the church have the greatest calling in the world. We are the redeemed. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. As such, we are called to work together to be a light in a dark place. And so, sisters, brothers, let y'all's light shine, right? Let it shine so that Manhattan sees our good deeds and gives glory to our Father who's in heaven.